1110 and um, you can also hit me up on Twitter at Pete Callender. Right. So, uh, yeah, I got a message here from Chad. He says, uh, "Riddle me this, Pete. Does Beasley, Sherry Beasley, support abortion rights until birth? What am I missing here? Yeah, I don't know. Nobody asks her. Nobody even asks her. She just says reproductive health care, and they're like, oh, okay, that's enough for me.'" What does that mean? What's the limiting principle? Now, look, again, I'm assuming uh, no motive here. I'm trying to give reporters the benefit of the doubt. As I went over in the last hour, I tried to do these things. I'm not always successful. I am a mere human, despite rumors to the contrary. Uh, I, I, I don't always succeed, but I try. I try, and... I don't want to assume that the reporters assigned to cover these uh, beats, the, the you know political beat or uh, election coverage or something, if you're out there, you get a, a one-on-one with the candidate or something. I'm not going to assume that you're an idiot. I'm not going to assume that you don't know what you're talking about or don't know how to cover a story or don't do any research before you do an interview. I'm not going to make that assumption about you. Well, what's the alternative then, right? But what am I supposed to think that that you agree with the candidate? And so when they say things like reproductive health care, you think it means something and it just never crosses your mind that they may mean something else because they might. Because what is that? Again, what does that mean? And when you start asking those questions and look, part of this is a, a, a byproduct of Roe v. Wade and KCV Planned Parenthood when the Supreme Court. I believe, erroneously decided that case 48 years ago, 49 years ago. When they decided that case, they basically you know, tried to take it off the table, and a lot of people were happy that it was gone. All they had to do was say, I'm pro-life or I'm pro-choice, and it was, it, was, it was neat. It was clean. I don't have to worry about the arguments. But most people on the pro-life side had to have these discussions because they were fighting for a change in this status quo, right? And people who are pro-life, a lot of, you know, some of them went down and protested, and then you had the, uh, the, the conflicts at the abortion clinics. And then, you know, the actions of the abortion clinic protesters, uh, were, you know, then became the fodder for the, uh, the DRD game, Defender Disavow, Right. And, oh, they're doing these things at, a, at the clinic. And what do you think about it? And Hollywood would, would make movies about it and artists would make songs about it. And then you had to, you had to listen to this. And so there were, you were constantly being challenged as a pro-lifer. Pro-choicers didn't get that for 40 years. They just didn't get it. I mean, they, like, not like they didn't get it, like not understand it. They just didn't get that kind of pushback. They could just say, I, I'm pro-choice. I wouldn't do it personally, but who am I to get in the way? And that's the law. And, and, and that was the end of it. They didn't have to go any deeper. And maybe that's the problem, which is why I welcomed the Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court, because 
to quote the Occupy Wall Streeters, this is what democracy looks like, right? When the, when the court said that all rights not enumerated are left to the states and the people, and this should have been de- uh, decided at the state level by state representatives and the people that elect them, this is what it looks like. Us having this discussion, asking, are there any limiting principles? And if you're unwilling to ask people running for office about their limiting principles and what these terms mean, if you are unable to ask those questions, for the love of me, get out of the business. You have no business being in this business. You need to ask these questions. And this takes me to all of the semi-fascist terrorists that go to school board meetings. The, uh, right, these parents. This is a, a, a really good example of thumb-on-the-scale media bias over at the Charlotte Observer. Headline, NC School Board, which is, that's not a good, it's not a good headline because it indicates that it's the state school board when it's actually not. It was the uh, Cabarrus County School Board that was doing something, but the the headline says, NC school board members say they want book ban transparency. Parents are skeptical. And then right under this headline, there's a screenshot from the movie, the black and white movie, To Kill a Mockingbird. It's a classic of American literature, right? To Kill a Mockingbird. With these lessons that transcend time and race, geographical location, uh, it, they transcend. These are, these, are, these are issues that speak to the human condition. And they do a screenshot of To Kill a Mockingbird. Why? Oh, and they, Well, they tell us underneath. There's a, a caption for the screenshot, and it says, A Mississippi school district removed To Kill a Mockingbird from the eighth grade curriculum. And this is listed by the, and they say, the novel is included on the Library of Congress Books That Shaped America list, along with other controversial titles. Oh my gosh. So wait a minute. Book ban? To Kill a Mockingbird? Why are they banning this book? Well, first off, Cabarrus County School Board, as far as I know, not looking to ban To Kill a Mockingbird. No, the media, the local McClatchy paper, just decided to throw it in there. Just decided, oh yeah, this is connected uh, type in on the Google machine, uh, book ban, and oh, look at that. A picture of To Kill a Mockingbird comes up. Let's use that. And we'll, we'll, we'll tie it together. We'll localize it. But let's walk through a uh, just a quick thought experiment before I get to the Cabarrus County School story. Um, why would To Kill a Mockingbird get banned in Mississippi? Why was, it, why was it up to be banned? Do you know why? Well, I looked it up. I went and did a search. I'm not going to call myself a journalist. I just have a Google account, and I'm able to Google things. You don't even need an account. You can just search for it. There are other search engines, too. I'm not sure that the McClatchy Newsroom knows this, but you could search for stuff and find stories that other media outlets did. And uh, according to the published stories in media reports out of Mississippi, you know why they banned To Kill a Mockingbird? The N-word. That's why they banned it. So let's... Let's run the thought experiment. If the GOP or conservatives, if if they're all the racists, because remember the the you know the big lie there that everybody switched parties, like all the racists were like, 
oh, no, we don't like LBJ anymore because of the Civil Rights Act, even though all the Republicans supported it. Like, we're going to go vote Republican now. All right, so everybody switched over to become Republicans. Um, if they're all the racists, wouldn't they want to kill a mockingbird in classes because of the N-word? Would they, w- would they be the ones objecting to the use of the N-word in the book? No, they weren't. It wasn't from the right. To Kill a Mockingbird was not banned by people from the right. It got banned because of the woke. And they're of the left. But you used a picture of To Kill a Mockingbird in order to impugn the parents who are upset that books depicting oral sex are available to their middle school students. You conflated them. Why would you do that? Did you not know that? Did you not Google search the Mississippi story? Or are you trying are you trying to push people to a certain conclusion without directly saying it? I don't want to impugn your motives. I don't want to assume your motives, so I just will leave the question there. All right, look, I'm not a big fan of the United Nations, even though I I was a member of the uh, United States delegation at the Model UN in college. But um, not a big fan of it as an organization, but I would be okay with them spending money on getting a new background for the speakers. That green marble, green stone background, that is hideous. Every time I see it, I think, gosh, please. For my sake, renovate the thing. Just the background. You don't have to do the whole chamber. Of course, it's a quasi-government entity, so of course they'll probably spend, you know, a billion dollars and redo everything. But all you just, just the background. Gosh, it's just so ugly. Anyway, I just saw a clip. Biden spoke at the UN, so I saw a clip and just reminded me how how much I loathe uh, that setting. So Cabarrus County school board members say they want a more functional and transparent process when it comes to concerns over books that uh, include questionable reading material for kids. But with two policies already in place, parents are leery that board members will be forthcoming when it comes to decisions over banning books. So they already have some policies, but there are some books that are apparently still available for kids. And so some of the school board members say they want a better process. Just light the bonfire, people. Burn them all. Burn all the books. That's obviously what they're talking about. What's pretty amazing is, like, you get to the end of this article uh, at the Charlotte Observer by Anna Maria de la Costa. You get to the end of the article... And they've got a quote from Brooke Weiss, who is the chair of a local group called Moms for Liberty in Mecklenburg County. This is a larger organization. They got chapters set up and uh, they, uh, if I recall correctly, they they kind of sprung up during the pandemic. That's where I first became aware of them. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but it was my understanding and, and my recollection that These groups got started during the pandemic over the lockdowns, over the masking policies, uh, maybe vaccine policies as well. I I don't recall, but but they're also, you know, they're getting engaged. Dare I call it 
grassroots activism, citizen activists, right? Which I thought that was what we wanted to see from parents getting involved in the schools. Oh, I, I know, right. Just certain parents. Parents like Pamela Grundy, even though her kids are out of the system now, I think. But, yeah, she's one of the activists that's, you know, endorsed. She's an, oh, she's an activist that's okay by us because she's obviously a leftist. I remember when Pam Grundy got involved in school politics 20 years ago almost. Shamrock Gardens Elementary School, she was a big advocate for the for the uh for the school and they were we had just come out of the race-based busing program and they were uh dealing with overcrowding issues and funding issues and free and reduced lunch populations and such student performance. Anyway, uh so these two groups I mentioned her specifically because she had a run-in with the Moms for Liberty group which I'll get to. But this Moms for Liberty group in Charlotte-Mecklenburg, the chair of the group is Brooke Weiss, and she emailed the superintendent here, Hugh Hattabaugh, as well as members of the school board, with concerns over a particular book. And this book is called Looking for Alaska. And in this book, there is apparently a description of some sort of uh, sex, uh, sex act. And... She said they have concerns over the sexually explicit passage in the book and that it is in uh, CMS middle school libraries and high school libraries. She said there needs to be a review process that involves reading the books before they make their way into the district libraries. So wait a minute, we have to know what's in the book? Can't we just judge it by its cover? Come on! Why said... uh, then neither she nor the group Moms for Liberty, a conservative organization focused on parental rights in school, are calling for the banning or even removal of books. Oh. Oh, wait a minute. So they don't want to ban books. They want a review process for books that might be inappropriate for certain age groups. And if those books are inappropriate, she says, we just want the books to be labeled as mature and separated from the rest of the books. If a parent wants their kid to have access to more mature content, then that's totally fine. But the wishes of parents that do not want their children to have access to such content should also be respected. That seems reasonable. But wait, no, that seems reasonable. That seems reasonable. Does it not? If you want to take your tot to, uh, to a rated R movie, right, then you can take your kid to the movie. But you got to go. Oh, you know what? This looks like another opportunity for slapperones. You know what? If you don't know what slapperones is, this is the idea that Caller Ralph had. It's a chaperoning program. Chaperones for youth. Youth escort services, which I've been told since probably, probably not a great name as you would start probably attracting people looking for a different kind of service. So chaperones, but... They'll slap the kid if they start, you know, causing riots at the uh, at the theme park at Carowinds or something, right? Or at the mall, I guess. Uh, Ralph suggested maybe a cattle prod as well. I thought maybe that would be like the ultimate package. I would just go with the slapping as sort of the the mid tier package, right? If you're a parent, you want your kid to be able to read sexually explicit stuff as they explore their own gender identity. Well, then you would say, hey, let my kid have access. Uh, to the room with the books behind the curtain, just like the old video stores. 
And right now, people who have no idea what a video rental store are like, what? What is that? Yeah, you just have a little curtain back there, and you go back there, and you get your book, you know? But you'd have to have parental permission. I don't know. This seems pretty standard. This is like we have age cutoffs for all sorts of things. Got a message here from Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus. He says, Pete, I found a better book to donate to school libraries that claim to not want to censor any information and just provide equal access. I wonder if it would actually make it onto the shelf in any school. And the book is by Brian Lenny. And the title of the book is Why Everyone Needs an AR-15, A Guide for Kids. The Amazon description says, Guns aren't bad. People are. But for decades, the far left in America has been trying to take away the rights afforded to every American, blah, blah, blah. So it says, uh, in this super fun book for kids, we'll walk you through how awesome the AR-15 is and how it could be used for good and why the gun-grabbing lefties should focus on something more productive. It's a paperback. It goes for less than eight bucks on Amazon. There you go. All right, so this idea that you know all books are welcome in the in the K twelve government libraries, that it's a lie. They're not. All books are not. All magazines are not. Right? There are certain subscriptions. You obviously have to discern. Right? You have to make decisions because you can't say we'll have one of every book on the shelves because you first off you don't have the space, right? Nor the budget. So you make decisions, and then I'm supposed to believe that your decisions are completely free of bias. And that's impossible because you're a human being. All humans have biases. And so I don't believe you. That's why you need a policy. And when people get mad that certain books are uh, being offered to their kids, they have every right to be, by the way. They have every right to be. And just because you think that their kid needs to know how to put a condom on a cucumber or something, or that their kid needs to know all of the joys of gay sex, just because you think that their kid needs to know that doesn't make you their parent and it doesn't make you right. They're not your kids. I know you like to call them your kids, but they're not your kids. They're your kids for 180 days and then they're gone and you get new kids. But the parent has that kid forever. That's their kid. And they have the right to question the material that is being forced upon their kids, either through curriculum or being offered to their kids. Would you mind so much if somebody was selling cigarettes on school property or just making them available to your kids? Of course you would. Some parents on the left get really upset that schools offer sugary drinks to their kids. and They want all of the soda machines pulled out of the schools, right? Yeah, because it's your kid, and kids will make bad decisions. It's kind of their jam. (laughs) It's it's what kids do. I think it has to do with the lack of a fully formed brain. Board members in Cabarrus County during a meeting on Monday agreed some books have fallen through the cracks despite some policies being in place. 
Carolyn Carpenter, board member, said one of the books, Looking for Alaska, which the Charlotte Observer points out, is an award-winning teen novel by John Green. See, there again, award-winning is supposed to convey credentials, right? Oh, it's award-winning. Oh, okay, so therefore if a whole bunch of lefties in the literature publishing industry love it, then it should be okay for my kid? See, awards did used to mean stuff. Media awards. I used to care about media awards. I quit caring. I used to care about the Pulitzer. I used to care about uh, the Nobel Peace Prize. Quit caring about that one when Obama got it before he did anything and then proceeded to drone strike people all over the planet. Never did take that Peace Prize back from him. But this book, Looking for Alaska, has been at the center of drama between the board and hundreds of parents who believe the board will enact policies that make it easier to ban books and learning materials someone deems offensive. There's, here's another example of it. The most neurotic and anxiety-riddled people are dictating the terms of the debate, right? I, I think that they just want to ban it. I'm afraid they're going to ban every book that I want my kid to read. My kid needs to read about oral sex, right? So they're, they're obviously anxious about their child not getting exposed to, well, exposure, right? They're, they're obviously neurotic about this, and they're demanding that other parents put aside their concerns so this way you win. Another example, right? The tie goes to the runner. Well, like you have some concerns. I have some concerns if we do what you want. So uh, we seem to be at an impasse, right? I don't like your idea. You don't like my idea. And so we'll just go with my idea. Okay, good talk. That's the way all of these debates shake out. All of them. The board discussed a draft policy Monday but made no decision. Instead, all seven board members decided that a pair of committees dedicated to instructional materials and board policies should discuss the draft first. The vice chair of the Board of Ed of Cabarrus County, Laura Blackwell, she read the scene from the book at the public meeting and questioned whether, quote, that kind of crap is okay to be in schools. Totally legitimate question, folks. That's the thing about art, right? It's up for interpretation. And literature is art. And so if I interpret it to be inappropriate for a child, who are you to tell me I'm wrong? Look, I'm just using the relativist creed, which you guys prefer to use on like everything else. Art is open for interpretation. Therefore, my interpretation is just as valid as yours. And so if I don't find it to be appropriate, I'm just as right as you are if you find it to be appropriate. By the way, prior to reading the excerpt, the chair of the board ordered the teenage student interns to leave the meeting before the passage was read. (laughs) Uh, What does that indicate? Might there be, I don't know, might there be some conclusion that we could draw from this from this move to tell the teenagers to leave the room before this passage got read from a library book that is available to teenage students in the school library. (laughs) Uh Okay. Um, Pam Everett, who wore a T-shirt that said, Read Banned Books, said, Based on my interactions with the staff of the school system, I believe they are some of the most qualified and competent people I've ever met. 
Pam, meet more people. Meet more people. Seriously. I'm not saying that to denigrate any of the people that you've met. I'm just saying you should meet more people because there are a lot of competent people in all areas. And by the way, and I'm not, I don't want to turn this into a bash of teachers. However, there is research based on test scores, student performance, that sort of thing. People get into education tend to have, uh, uh, they're in the lower third of the grades when they graduate high school, but they get the most A's when they graduate college. What does that tell you? Right? So I'm not saying that to bash. Hashtag not all teachers. Right? See, because I recognize nuance. I know these are complex things. And I I also recognize that two-thirds of the teachers are obviously uh, getting good grades, and they are, they're passing, and they're getting through, and they're, they're good students as well. But there are a lot of teachers <laughs> that are in the lower end of that. It's the old joke, too. Like, what do you call the guy who graduates last in his uh, medical school class? Doctor. Yeah, you call him doctor. Just like you call a lawyer a lawyer, whether they finish first or last. They're still a lawyer. Doesn't mean they're a great lawyer. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The reason why parents get upset at the stuff that teachers do in the classroom is because they're doing it to their students in the classroom. And those students happen to be the kids or the parents' kids, right? Like, that's why the parents get mad. They disagree with what you're doing in the classroom, and then they express their disapproval at what you're doing in the classroom. They don't hate education. They don't hate teachers. Maybe they do disagree with the K-12 model, but like, like I do. But that's not even necessarily a given. A lot of them like the K-12 model. They're sending their kids to it. They disapprove of what you are doing. You did it. You're not the victim. You're not the victim. And there are a lot of people, I think, in education that think just because they get to stand in front of a captive audience for, you know, seven hours a day that what they say is true. Because they got a guide that tells them this is the truth. And again, I have teachers in my family. I recognize the, the value of great teachers. I want to pay great teachers six figures. I won't pay the bad ones the same amount. And don't tell me there aren't bad teachers because I had them. Everyone has. You've had great teachers. You've had terrible teachers. And you've probably had a lot that were just eh, kind of, you know, whatever. They're, they were okay. Right? People have experience with K-12 schools. That's why they have opinions about them. (laughs) And then they send their kids there. And then the kid comes home and they're like, oh, I'm reading this book. And you're like, what is this book? And so you read up on it, you Google it, and you're like, great, googly moogly. So here's a story from, uh, I got it from uh, Ride a Lion on Twitter. Thank you very much for the link. It comes from a website called inthenow.com. And uh, this is an approving article uh, it's taking the side of a Tennessee teacher named Sydney Rolls, who has a TikTok channel, I guess, or page. I don't know what they call it. I do not do TikTok because I don't want to give all of my stuff to the commies in China. So uh, this teacher and a mom, teacher and mom, Sydney Rolls, she made a video and it went viral. Yeah, she's also, uh, she she's an influencer, okay? She's not just a teacher and a mom. Uh, I looked her up. She's got like 13,000 followers or something on TikTok. She has a huge follower base. She posts selfies 
videos of her in her cute little outfits, and apparently she's got a fetish for footwear as well. She likes posting pictures of her sneakers and stuff, but she posts a lot of the stuff from her classrooms. So she does fashion, she does uh, education-related content, and talks about her kids, which I'm not sure parents were aware of that, but uh, whatever. Um, There was a Tennessee law called the Age-Appropriate Materials Act, and so she's complaining about all of the hoops that she has to go through. In the video, she breaks down the complicated approval process required by the new law, which says, hey, if you've got books that are in your classroom available for kids, this is what you have to do. So number one, you have to catalog the title and author of each book that you're offering. Okay? Which makes sense if like, they're like, well, what books are you providing? And she's like, well, some teachers have thousands of books in their classroom. Okay, well, make a list. That catalog then gets passed on to the school librarian who checks the list against a list of approved books. The librarian then lets the teacher know which of their books is not on the list. Okay, so what, out of like, say, 100 books, how many of yours are on the unapproved list? 10? 20? 50? 100? Like, how many of these books are on, are on the list? Step three. The teacher then is required to go through their library all over again and remove the books. Like, how hard is that? If you've got the list and like, hey, you got these 10 books, you got to pull them off because they're on the unapproved list. A list of those removed books then gets sent along to someone higher up, she says, probably someone that's never been in a classroom, that's never taught children. Now, that's not any additional work for her, mind you. Like this idea that, oh my gosh, it's such a laborious process. Okay, first off, I'm not shocked that government has created a complicated approval process. That's one of the things government does, okay? Here's my shock face. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, you have the, you're offering up 20 books. One of them's on the list, or maybe all 20 are, and they say you got to take these off the list. Oh, my gosh, it's so much work. I have to make a list. I have to give it to somebody, and then I have to wait for them to come back, and then they're like, hey, you got some books on the list, so then i got to take them off of my shelf? Oh, my gosh. And then the higher-ups review the list. They determine if those books are appropriate or not appropriate. They then send feedback to the school and requires the teacher to once again go through the library. Ugh. Yeah, if you want to offer, if you want to be a librarian to your students, then, yeah, you're going to have a review process. And then you have to post that list of the books, the finalist. you got to post it on uh, online so the parents can see. This doesn't seem that complicated, actually, now that I'm reading through. It doesn't actually seem very complicated. It's, hey, I have a couple books. I want kids to be able to read them. Here they are. Uh, so I got 10 of them. I'll write down the title and author, give them to the librarian. She looks them over and it's like, okay, these are all fine. And then you're done. And then you post them online. You're done. Now, if you're trying to, you know, stick a bunch of books in there that you know parents are going to object to because they're on all sorts of ban lists, well, then maybe steer clear of those books. Or if you want your kids to be able to have access to them, right, then force the issue and expect a confrontation because the parents are not your students. They're not a captive audience. They get to talk back to you. They don't need your permission to speak to you. They're allowed to disagree. I don't know how many how many people need this refresher course on dealing with, with uh, adult humans, but I guess here we are.